You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to another Giant Splash podcast. I'm Henry Shulman, the Giants beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. And today I'll talk to two of my favorite former players turned broadcasters. You'll hear from Ryan Spielborgs, who calls games for the Colorado Rockies, revealing an emotional story behind a big walk-off homer he once hit against the Giants. But first, Sacramento's own F.P. Santangelo, a former Giant, now Washington Nationals television color guy. Welcome to Giant Splash, F.P. How goes it? It's good to see you, man. It's good to see all the Giants and all my friends back in town. Yeah, yeah. Well, for, for the three days we're going to be here. Yeah, it's good to see everybody, see Kipe and uh, you and John Miller and Dave Fleming, all the old gang, and looking forward to the series. Yeah, um, and, you know, just starting with the series right off the bat, uh, my colleague John Shea, who you know, wrote a story about how things might have been different had the Giants signed Bryce Harper, how tonight might have been different. Uh, he did not get a good reception here when he came in with the Phillies, did he? No, I mean, we were all shocked. We were, you know, I think that... The million-dollar question was how fans would receive Bryce Harper. All my friends were texting me, asking me how it was going. So, you know, we do the Opens live here right at 7 o'clock, and I'm putting my tie on, and I'm getting ready to go. It's probably about 6.50, and they're doing the lineups, and his face comes up on the big scoreboard, and the fans are already in the park, and they let him have it. And people are texting me, like, how was it? 50 50? I'm like, no, it was 100% booze. So then when he came up for his first at bat or he took the field, he got crushed. His first at bat, there were signs, Benedict Arnold, people dressed like Benedict Arnold. There was about 10 guys with Trader on in the outfield. Everybody had a different letter on their shirt. And it was a lot of venom that we haven't seen from DC fans. And we were we were shocked, and I think more importantly, Bryce was shocked. We had shots of him in the dugout, and he was just deer in the headlights. Like, well, why? I mean, he he really didn't. I mean, he you know he, the offer it came out uh, just wasn't equal to Phillies. I mean, I think it was pretty clear that the Nationals didn't maybe make the best effort to sign him back. Well, I mean, I don't think that any of us can relate to turning down three hundred million dollars. However, it's deferred. However, it's laid out. Um, especially you know when you know. I just don't think a lot of people can relate to I know I can't. So it's I, my phone blew up with ex-players saying, how the heck can you turn down $300 million? So I think that was the sentiment. And he signed with a team 121 miles up the road. Right, a, a National League East rival. Now, I, you know, you probably didn't know exactly what was going through his head. But do you think that did – you, did you believe at all that there was a chance he was going to go to San Francisco? Uh, I did. I did. And I, and I don't know what's come out since then, but I, I've seen a story here or there. And I think uh, Bryce always loved playing in San Francisco. He loved the city, loved the ballpark. I think he loves any organization with history because he, he knows his baseball history. So he knows that the greats that have played there before him, and he knows the history of the franchise, and he also knows it's an ownership group that's going to do anything to win a World Series. A lot like the Nats. We just haven't clicked and got past the first round. But um, I think there was a real good chance. And, and based on the story I read, you know, they were waiting to hear back from San Francisco, and they did. And then all of a sudden, he said, "Told his wife we're going to Philly." 
Yeah, uh, that's kind of how it went. They, they, they didn't, I mean, the Giants talked to him a lot. There just wasn't that very last chance to give the Giants uh, a chance to top it, and they weren't going to top it anyway. Now, you had a seven-year major league career, and you got to play for the Giants and the A's, being a Northern California guy. Uh, your one Giant season was 1999. You became one of the fire, fighting hydrants with uh, Marvin Bernard, and I guess it was Armando Rios yeah. as well. What do you remember most about that one season with the Giants? That I've parlayed it into a, a, a tremendous broadcasting career. <laughs> and uh, No, uh, my year with the Giants, the thing I remember most is, is it, it being surreal like a fantasy camp that I grew up going to Candlestick Park watching games. Uh, then I played there as a visiting player. And then to actually wear the Giants uniform and stand in center field and look back in the bleachers and say, I used to sit in the bleachers as a kid. And I used to play, you know, I used to come to this field and now I'm playing on this field. So the whole year was surreal for me. Um, and the fact that I got to play for the team I grew up rooting for. And and then coached in the organization after I retired and then broadcast in the organization. Was kind enough to be uh, given a 2010 World Series ring, my only World Series ring in a, my 14-year professional career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a dream come true, a fantasy camp year for me. And, you know, I've, I've parlayed that one year as a San Francisco Giant. And, it, and it's, a, it's a testimony to ownership because whether you play one year for the Giants or 10 years for the Giants, they treat you like you've played 10 years and you're a Hall of Famer. They treat everybody the same. They invite you back to all the days honoring the teams. And, you know, the ownership group has been so nice enough to get me into broadcasting and do the pregame shows for the Giants and the radio shows at KMBR. And now I'm here in D.C. So I owe... Man, I owe a lot to the San Francisco Giants organization, not just for hiring me as a player, but as a coach and as a broadcaster and, and just starting my career in broadcasting. Can you remind us what you did in 2010? Uh, I was the pregame show host, and uh, and I was the host, the 7 to 10 slot host at KMBR. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You just told me something. I knew I knew half of this. You played in the last game ever at Candlestick Park in 1999, but then you had another distinction about six months later, didn't you? Well, I had a, a really, I don't know if I just had a bad off season. I signed with the Dodgers, but I always say I was a good giant as a Dodger because I hit 196. <laughs> I did my part. I went down there as a spy. No, um, so I was, I played the last game at Candlestick as a giant. I played the first game at Pac Bell as a Dodger. So the Dodgers were the first team in. And if you remember that day it was a warm day everyone's wondering how the ball would carry at Pac Bell then now it's Oracle it was AT&T for all the years and Kevin Elster who was out real late that night and might have had a few drinks didn't know he was going to be the starting shortstop because Davey Johnson really didn't tell him he was going to be the starting shortstop it was kind of up in the air hit three home runs to left field and everyone's like oh it's a launching pad it's like Coors Field and little did everyone know that the ball really didn't carry there <laughs> and that was just an anomaly but uh, yeah I think I went into left field late so I actually played I went in for Barry Bonds late at Candlestick Park and I think I went in late for Gary Sheffield on opening day at AT&T yeah it was actually funny because there were a lot of curse words uttered in the Giants end of the clubhouse uh, after that game and also an exhibition they played where I think I think it was either the Yankees or Brewers but there were seven home runs hit in that game before the before the Dodgers came in so it, it did kind of um, the ballpark sort of uh, was was fooling us a little bit that night now at Candlestick uh, of course you started your career with the Montreal Expos um, and there was a game and I don't know if you remember too much about the game but uh, the Expos beat the Giants 19 to 3 and the, th the big thing about that game was there was a 13 run inning in that game at Candlestick, and I remember it vividly. Um, do you remember anything about that game? I think I remember Dusty Baker accusing me of relaying pitches from second base. That's right. And then Sonny Jackson said something to me running off the field. And, you know, now I would say, 
Yeah, we did it, but we didn't. I, I wasn't looking at signs. I didn't care. And, and in a game like that, I, I remember asking some of the veteran guys, like, do you guys want them? If, if, why don't we relay signs? And guys were like, we don't want them. So we never even did that. So I'm running off the field, and Sonny Jackson says something to me, and then Dusty says something to me. I told Sonny Jackson where he could shove it, I think, running into the dugout. And he became a good friend when I was a giant, um, either the next year or the next year. But, yeah, they thought I was relaying signs. And I would tell you if I was. Oh, yeah, we were doing it. I had the signs. It was real easy. If I move my right leg, I watch every night from up here, and I see guys doing it. It's part of baseball, but we weren't doing it. So you hate to get accused of doing something that you didn't do, especially against the team I grew up rooting for. And Dusty Baker, a man who I respected so much from Sacramento, we're both from Sacramento. It was weird. It was one of the stranger things I ever uh, that happened to me in the big leagues. Well, did you ever, I mean, you, you ended up, like you said, you ended up playing for him. You were in the organization. Then you ended up with him here in Washington as a broadcast. I mean, did you ever talk that thing through? Oh, yeah. We, we, we talked it through in spring training. I was like, dude. And he was like, dude, because that's all, you know, we said to each other. Dude. Yeah, dude. And it's, it's like, I didn't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. And then here in D.C., we used to go have our drinks. We live in the same town here in D.C. So I miss Dusty. It was great to have him here as a manager. We're really good friends, and we hung out a lot when he was in D.C., and I thought he did a great job here. Yeah, and he's back with the Giants now as a special assistant. Uh, he's not here for the uh, the series here against the Nats. Um, so could you just tell me a little bit about the Nats' start this year? It's been a little weird. I mean, guys are swinging the bat, but the back end of the bullpen has been a little bit of an issue, huh? Starting pitching's been good, not great. Uh, it's only 14 games, though, Hank, so, you know, 14 14 games into a season, a small sample size. Um, the offense has been good. The bullpen hasn't. I think it's I, we're, we're doing the open tonight, and we're going to talk about Boach, and it's his, what, 64th birthday today, and it's his last trip to D.C., and he spent a lot of time in D.C. Uh, going to the White House with all the rings, so uh, that's kind of an angle we're taking tonight. And I think the other angle of this series is bullpens. We have the worst one, and the Giants have the best one. And I think we'll see if that plays out in this series. The Giants aren't hitting. The Nats are hitting. The Giants have a good bullpen. The Nats don't. I think starting pitching, the Nats have a little edge in the starting pitching department. So we'll see how the series plays out. But I know both teams have to do the little things to win games. They have to play clean baseball. Uh, we don't have a Bryce Harper in our lineup anymore, a guy that's going to hit 50 home runs or 40 home runs or whatever. So the Nats really worked on playing good fundamental baseball. Uh, in spring training because the division so much tougher and some things they might have got away with in past years they can't now. But we've seen it at times, and then we've seen them revert back to, like, not good fundamental baseball. So we'll see We'll see which team shows up. So if one day it's a great team, and the next day you're like, oh, my gosh. So we'll see. And, the, and lastly, I mean, the National League East is going to be fun this year, isn't it? Well, I like it because, you know, maybe 100 years from now when we're all gone, that there's a true rival. You know how the Giants-Dodgers rivalry is? The Nats are new here. That's their 15th year. So there's no real true rivalry. One year it's the Phillies because Cole Hamels hits Bryce Harper. The next year it's the Braves because they're really good. The next year it's the Mets because in 2015 they went to the World Series. So it's kind of been a rivalry by year and situation. But now you have a team 121 miles away that's good, spent a lot of money in the offseason. You have a villain in Bryce Harper. So I'm thinking this is like when Babe Ruth kind of went from – uh, the Red Sox to the Yankees in the initial stages of that rivalry and maybe 100 years from now when we're all gone that the that, that Phillies and the Nationals are a real true rivalry like the Giants and Dodgers are. Yeah, there certainly is proximity. But listen, FP, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad to catch up with you. I always am glad to catch up with you. And thank you for being part of the Giants Splash. All right, Hank. Thanks for having me on, man. 
You'll hear from Ryan Spielborg's former Colorado Rockies player and current Rockies broadcaster with an interesting story behind a big home run he hit against the Giants right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Henry Schulman back with you, and I'm here with Ryan Spielboards, uh, who played in the major leagues for the Colorado Rockies for seven seasons, also played a year in Japan, and right now is a broadcaster for the Rockies, and a guy I listen to all the time on Sirius XM, uh, the baseball channel, uh, with uh, mostly on with Casey Stern, uh, who's a man of all trades, on the inside, uh, with the inside pitch show? Inside pitch, so Casey and I are together four days a week, and then on Saturdays, uh, I'm with C.J. Nikowski, former left-handed pitcher he also played in japan uh on a show called loud out so it's um it's been a lot it's been a lot of fun yeah and uh i mean it, it, it's a good show i i like listening to it because um it really you really kind of don't hold back i think sometimes maybe as a team broadcaster you might have to hold back a little bit i think all of them do but when you're talking about the other 29 teams even your own team you can be a little more honest can't you so that that is such a uh it really is a difficult transition for a player to speak on other players and uh, I, I think all all athletes respect if you break down what's going on or if you understand what it feels like to have put on a uniform you can speak about it now when you make when you make claims of, of something that's personal about a guy, if I'm if I'm disparaging the guy, uh, saying he's a bad person or this, that, and the other, then it's different. Then then we have words. But to be able to put into context facts or facts or what the stats are, what the numbers are, uh, you and you back it up, and then you kind of take the perspective of. Well, this is what that guy might be going through. There might be an issue off the field, or he's not seeing the baseball, and why? Maybe there's an injury, and, and not to make excuses for players, because that's what I think a lot of former players will do: is they sugarcoat. Is how do you give the actual answer for a fan to look at it and go, you know what? That's right. Like he's not playing well, but I thought it was because of this. And you can explain, no, it's not just, you know, that maybe in your mind you're thinking, well, this guy doesn't care. I was like, no, he really does care. He's at the field at one o'clock. I see him every day. Um, but kind of to your point too, Henry, when you, when you look at guys that are in a national position of talking about other teams, they don't have their boots on the ground. You know, there's a little bit of a disconnect. You go walking through a clubhouse, a major league clubhouse. Uh, I do it every night after a broadcast. I give the players an opportunity to say something. Um, and and I do it the same with other visiting teams. So um, I feel like I am held accountable because I, I do respect the guys that are playing the game. So I, I'm not just making lewd claims about a person just because I'm on the outside. Now, uh, we're, we're recording this podcast the morning after the 18-inning game. Did you go into the clubhouse after that one? Yeah, I did a quick lap. Uh, the guys were actually in, in fairly decent spirits, five hours and 35 minutes. And uh, I was joking that if 
after watching last night's game that I need to be a better person because if last night's game is any indication of what um, the afterlife could be, I don't want it to be that baseball game. <laughs> um, I'm not ready to talk about the afterlife. That's a different podcast I'm going to do in about 25 years, hopefully. Um, so Giants fans may remember you if they know the name Ryan Spielborgs. They know the name Ryan Spielborgs for one reason and one reason only. It was a game at Coors Field in 2013, and it went into the 14th inning, speaking of long games. Giants took a 4-2 lead in the top of the inning, and I believe there were two outs in the bottom half when the Rockies started to rally, and you happened to come up with the bases loaded against Marquin Valdez, and what happened? I hit a grand slam, and I reacted maybe more you know, celebratory than, uh, than many people would appreciate, but there's also a backstory to that. I, and I, people that don't know the story and maybe for Giants fans, you might understand a little bit more why the emotion was so raw for me. Um, I lost my mom earlier in the year and, um, it was kind of one of those those seasons that players go through. I, I recently married. Uh, my wife was going to have a child. My my mom never had a chance to see that child. I was an everyday left fielder from the start of the season uh, back in 2009. I lost that opportunity to a, a call up named Carlos Gonzalez, and being away for a year away from arbitration, it meant significant financial gains if I if I had the chance to play, and as a result, I'd, I. I was negative. I was not. I was howling at the moon at night. I was not uh, my typical being a good teammate, and uh, it was a struggle. It was really a personal struggle for the course of the season, and to have that moment for that team when I really kind of withdrew myself from being a, a decent teammate, it all kind of came out. That was more, you know, cathartic and melancholy. You know, the emotions running around the bases than just simply uh, a baseball game, and. Um, I, I, I love that moment for me because it, it it's raw. It's emotions that you know make me think of my mom and everything that she went through prior to her passing away. And there's a sense of pride of, of being able to accomplish something at the major league level and then experience it with your teammates. What was your mom's name? Her name was Essie. So my mom is from Guatemala. So I, I've actually come from two immigrant parents. My dad. Guatemala was, and Belgium, right? That's kind of a combination you don't often see. Yeah, Belgium all in is the is the joke that we had. They met in, in Santa Barbara at a junior college. Um, and, you know, kind of the rest is history. First generation, uh, you know, children from two immigrants. And my sister's a lawyer in Santa Barbara, and I made it to the major league. So it, it's kind of a... It's kind of a cool story if you if you dig into it. I know Giants fans still, I can't uh, erase a 2009 uh, Grand Slam, but you know, hopefully, it's a little bit more insight to what actually happened. No, that's a that's a very um, it's a very precious story right there. Uh, we have about a minute left um, and, and before you have to go to work, and I do want to ask you about Nolan Arenado, uh, who I mean, really is is one of the greatest players in baseball. Will be for a lot of years. Just signed a long extension, but we're here. Uh, he's had about 56, 57 at bats without a home run uh, still hitting the ball well at times what do you think's going on there pressure I mean there's always when you start the season off there's certain things that guys want to have happen you, you want to get your first home run out of the way early uh, you want to have you want to get your first win you want to get your first save and for Nolan and Charlie Blackman as well they don't have that they don't have those 
those numbers that people look at, those rate stats. And uh, once a player that's used to hitting and, and he's led the National League in home runs for a couple of years, when he sees that he's still stuck on zero, um, guys tend to, to press a little bit. Even though he's superhuman, uh, he's still human in, in the fact that he wants to get some results. And I said yesterday on social media that I feel sorry for the team that plays him at right <laughs> after he gets the first home run. You agree with that? Uh, I do. If you saw spring training for Nolan, he hit one home run with about three weeks left to go, and then he, he ratcheted off about four in less than three days. So you're right. I mean, somebody's got to pay. Uh, you, and that's usually what, what we say is someone's going to pay. But so far, nobody's paid yet. Well, usually it's the Giants. He has 10 home runs here at Oracle Park, 24 against the Giants in his career. Listen, Ryan, I wish you the best for your season, and I hope you have a great uh, last couple of days here in San Francisco. I appreciate it, Henry. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Giants Splash. We'll have more from the Giants' long road trip later on. Giant Splash is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you would subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute or two to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at Hank Schulman, or you can email me at hshulman at sfchronicle.com. Support Giant Splash and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions available. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.